0: Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The sermon text for today is the regular reading for the Old Testament found in the book of the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Chapter 1, the first three verses, and chapter 2, the first four. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So far of God's holy word. In the name of Christ Jesus, who promised, I am coming quickly and surely is, dear fellow redeemed. <clears throat> if you don't happen to be on the third page of your bulletin, would you mind turning there? I'd like to give you a little personality test. I think you're probably already familiar with it. The left hand illustration with the question mark on it, you tell me, is the glass half empty? Or is it half full? Something like this can tell others about whether, in general, you're an optimist or a pessimist. The pessimist might look at a glass like this and say, plainly, someone's been drinking from it, and they're likely to drain it at any moment. The optimist might look at it and say, somebody filled that up halfway. I'm sure that pitcher's nearby. No doubt it'll be filled to the rim soon half empty or half full, pessimist or optimist. The prophet in Judah came to the Lord as a pessimist, and we can hardly blame him when we learn a little bit about what things were like in the land of Judah about 600 years before Jesus was born. And you've just heard his complaint Yes, the glass was not just half empty for him. He was looking at the dregs and expected things to be drained out and God's judgment to fall after all the terrible things taking place in the land. His name was Habakkuk, and he was a pessimist, but the Lord had a message for him to fill up his glass and to fill up ours too. And the message is summarized at the end of the text, a phrase with which I'm sure you're familiar, the just shall live by his faith. Why does that fill our glass? Because faith looks beyond present gloom and doom. Faith beholds Jesus' coming glory. About six centuries before Jesus was born, The prophet Habakkuk was called to serve the people in the southern kingdom of Judah after the time that the ten northern tribes had already been conquered and taken away and dispersed. And he was living in a tumultuous, very difficult, dark, and growing darker time. He had a dark cloud hanging over his heart. He called it a burden. Do you recall our first verse? The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O oh Lord, how, shall, how long shall I cry and you will not hear, even cry out to you violence and you will not save? And This might sound a little familiar to you. Habakkuk seeing how bad things were getting and saying, Lord, when, oh when, are you just going to put a stop to all this? Do something. The wicked people are increasing. There's more and more evil all around us. And it looks for all the world like the wicked people are getting away with it. He went on. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Where did Habakkuk see it? He saw it in the civil rulers, the king's. Although there were a few bright spots when it came to the kings of Judah, for the most part, they led the way in idolatry, political graft and greediness, the sale of favors, looking the other way when wicked people were acquitted of their crimes for a price, doing nothing when innocent people were convicted, again, for a price, by people on the other side. They were corrupt. They were corrupt, but perhaps not corrupt in the same way as the church leaders of Habakkuk's day, the priests who were supposed to speak the word of God and lead the people to faithfully follow God and his word. But if you were to visit the temple in Jerusalem in the days of Habakkuk, the priest would likely tell you, Oh, certainly, you can worship the Lord right here. Or we also happen to have an altar to Baal. You can offer your sacrifices there. And here is an Asherah pole to the god Ashtoreth. You can pay your respects to her. Or if you really want to impress the gods, perhaps bring your child to burn your child in the fire to the god Molech. And as far as the priests were concerned, it's all good. It's all worship. And they were leading the sheep in their care to spiritual slaughter instead of faithfulness to the one true God. And with kings and priests like that, it's no wonder that the people in general became more and more corrupt, more and more wicked, immoral, and violent. Those faithful to the Lord who stood fast. With the true God and his word, they were the ones who were marginalized, mocked, or even persecuted for their faithfulness. So Habakkuk, with his own eyes and experience, saw all this horrible iniquity, violence, contention, strife, and immorality. And he cried out, O Lord, how long, how long can this go on? Surely your judgment must come soon. It was a burden on his heart, and I have no doubt the same kind of thing has been a burden on your own heart too. We don't have any lack, do we, in our world today of corruption, wickedness, vice, and faithlessness to the Word of God, and it reaches to the very highest heights of earthly power. Isn't it true That perhaps not all, but a great many of our civil rulers are in the business of ruling for personal gain, sometimes graft, sometimes corruption. And I'm not singling out a particular political party because there's plenty of this to go around for everybody. The leaders swear to uphold our laws and they break them for personal power. They spend unimaginable amounts of money that we simply don't have. And surely, because that cannot go on forever, it's our children and grandchildren who will pay a truly horrible price when the bill comes due. What about church leaders in our own day? That's worse. How many different church leaders and churches, and there are many of them, have long ago decided... The Bible is simply a book that has some truth in it, but otherwise is a collection of myths and, le- and myths and legends. There are entire church bodies, congregations, and church leaders who have concluded that it's not really important whether Jesus bodily rose from the dead or not. It's not really very important what the meaning is of Jesus' cross because. Oh, of course, the Bible quotes Jesus as saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We enlightened people know that he's just one of many ways anyway. So much for faithfulness in many quarters of Christianity today. And many people, many people just rank and file people in our community, in our nation, I think it's a really a sacred a sacred right. A sacred right for people to have the liberty to kill defenseless unborn children. There are many people who consider that it's a good thing to have pornographic books available in children's libraries. There are many people who get personal filthy satisfaction from having. Horrible images piped into their homes on their screens or perhaps even in their pockets on their phones. And it's an exploitation of men and women and children. And the wreckage of lives lies behind this. Gloom and doom, a glass half empty. We've got plenty. We've got a terrible burden. Do you see the glass draining... For this world and our nation in these latter days. Do you feel the dark cloud, the burden that Habakkuk brought to the Lord? Have you found yourself crying out as you see day by day and month by month the darkness increasing? O Lord, how long? You said your Son is coming back in glory. Why isn't that right now? Why wait? Why let the wicked have their way? It is a burden, and it's only lifted by the revelation from God, the word of God, that he imparted to Habakkuk in answer to his plea. It's a word from the Lord that takes a great deal of faith. Because you know the definition of faith, don't you? It's in Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not seen. That means one of us who knows the true God through his son Jesus Christ can see a glass draining, can see the darkness increasing, can witness wickedness having its way. But faith says whatever God said is what's going to happen. God said so. It must be so. It's being sure, in spite of what you see, that God certainly will keep his promises. And so Habakkuk did the right thing. He knew to bring his burden and his plea to the Lord and wait for his answer. He said, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. So we took this burden and he unburdened himself before God and waited for the Lord's answer. And he did. God did answer him. He said in chapter 2, verse 2, "'The Lord answered me and said, "'Write the vision and make it plain on tablets "'that he may run who reads it.'" Now, back a cat a job, and so do you. Take this message that I'm giving you. Write this down in great big letters and then run with it so others can find out what my will is and what is surely going to happen. What is that message? What's this shining, joyful vision? It's found in that phrase, the just shall live by faith, and it comprises two things, God's present grace in Christ and God's coming glory in Christ. Now, yes, <clears throat> relief seems like it's a long time coming as twilight gives way to greater darkness. But the Lord promises here in Habakkuk, at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. So we wait reminds me of a different congregation I addressed once in the country of Kenya. It was a church service, with a church with a thatched roof and beaten earth floor and simple benches and about 40 to 50 people there. And to speak on this same subject, I told them a story about taking the bus to Nairobi, a couple hundred miles from where we were. If you take a bus in Kenya, it's going to be the Matatu, And the Matatu is basically a minivan that's designed to hold about eight people and instead about 30 get on board. So I divided the congregation up and said, You're on the bus. We're on the way to Nairobi. And it's comfortable so far, but here we go. I'll be the driver. And I gave a couple of the church members some lines to say. And we stopped at the next village to pick up a couple of more riders. And one of my people said, This trip is taking so long and I said, be patient, we'll get there. And then another person said, when are we going to get there? And I gave a mom and dad's answer. We'll get there when we get there. And we stopped at the next village and took on a few more passengers. And it got a little more uncomfortable because it's getting hot and the bus is getting crowded. And at several more stops, more people get on until you've got people sitting on each other's laps And people hanging on the sides of the matatu and riding on top. And the people are getting miserable. When are we going to get there? We'll get there when we get there. And the whole point was the destination. The whole point was more people need to get there. And that's why it's worth the wait. Even though this bus ride can be kind of miserable at times. Listen, do you see the matatu we're on right now? Do you know the destination where we're going to arrive? Because Jesus told you about it. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. That's where we're all headed. Does it sometimes get to be a long ride, sometimes a miserable ride on the way? Yes, it absolutely does. It's a burden. But there are so many people yet who need to get on board and who will get on board to arrive there. I've heard people, and I can sympathize with them, say, I'm just unsure about bringing children into this world. What's it going to be like when they grow up? It's going to be so awful, so difficult. And I understand that. I also understand that there are souls yet to be given a body and born who will be in heaven forever someday and we need more of them to be salt and light in this dark world so that those whom God will call will come to know his grace in Christ and we'll all be together when we arrive in heaven. There are others whom you know and care about who aren't on this bus yet and need to hear the vision. They need to hear the substance of the message that God gave Habakkuk to give to the people. The just shall live by faith. You understand it, many people don't. You understand what it's talking about when it says the just, don't you? It means the holy people. It means people with no sins at all, a clear, unobstructed path right to eternal life. And you know, like we all do, that's not me at all in what I say and what I do and what I think. I am so far from pure and holy. It's a tragedy. But you know Jesus. But you know Jesus, and you know that Jesus didn't come to call godly people to heaven. He came to call the ungodly. He didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners to repentance. And when it says the just shall live by faith, you know that what it really means is the justified. Sinners that God declares to be holy because of Jesus. You know that when it says the just shall live by faith, it's talking about you. You are the just. Not me and what I've done, but what God has given me by grace in Christ. That removes every sin. That opens the way to heaven. And I live by faith in the one who died for me. Not the strength of my convictions, but my conviction that I'm helpless. But he's strong, and he paid, and he rose. That's my justification. Dear Christian friends, what present grace you have. You're among the just who live by faith. Trust in what Jesus did. You know what the the Apostle Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 5 when he wrote, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You are on board the bus. You know your destination. You know that the journey, though long and hard, is worth the wait for the sake of others, yet to get on board. You have Jesus' present grace. And because he's kept all those promises... You're certain, you're sure that he will keep those that yet remain. Because God, although it seems from our viewpoint, he's really taking his time and getting here. You notice he told Habakkuk, it will not tarry. I do not lie. It will not wait. It's coming at the right time, the appointed time, and when it does... When the trumpet sounds and the dead are raised and you see with your own two eyes Jesus coming in glory with his holy angels, there will be no fear, no anguish, no burdens remaining because you'll be transformed, transformed and sinless and ready for life eternal, shouting for his victory. And on that day, all wrongs will be made right, Everything gloomy will be chased away by the bright glory of his coming, and only joy remains. And then what Daniel wrote in chapter 12 will come true in you. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. Hey, be about that business Write this down on tablets and big letters and run with it. Those who bring, turn many to righteousness will shine in our heavenly Father's kingdom. So how has the weight been going for you? Felt burdened by the strife, contention, iniquity, violence, and wickedness of this world that's ever creeping? I know I have. When you look around you, do you see a glass that's half empty? Or half full. If someone ever asks you whether overall you're an optimist or a pessimist, do you see a half empty glass or a half full glass, you'll have the privilege of saying, Neither one. I don't see that at all. Because I know the Lord Jesus and his promises, and for that reason, as David said, My cup overflows. You know, it's from the 23rd Psalm where David says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And ours does do, even in the tough times, because of the promise of Christ's present grace and the certainty of his glorious coming. So may our God preserve you in this ever-darkening world, giving you patience and hope in these latter times that yet remain. May he sustain you with his grace in Christ and move you to get out that pitcher and start pouring full other people's glasses. In Jesus' name, amen.